This is Glenn Barth. I want to welcome everyone to another Business is Doing Good conference call. This call is our 12th in a series of monthly phone calls that take place on the third Thursday of every month. Business is Doing Good is really an effort to lift up and begin communities of practice all over the country of businesses that are using their business model, a for-profit model, to address critical social issues in their cities and communities. Uh, by using a, a market-based model, we're finding that these efforts are growing and actually getting right at the causes of critical social issues throughout our world. And uh, I'm excited today because uh, we have a, a friend of mine who I've actually uh, known since high school. We rekindled our friendship about five years ago at a class reunion. And uh, our guest today came out to our businesses doing good face-to-face -face meeting that we had in Akron, Ohio last fall. And uh, as we got to know his story more, we felt it was a story worth telling. And uh, so today I want to welcome to our call uh, Alan McMillan, who was in the right place at the right time uh, when he was doing sales for some startups in Silicon Valley. And uh, it was uh, an exciting time in his life, and uh, he was able to uh, make some make a significant income during those years. And uh, even though he uh, experienced financial success, there were times uh, where he had to, like the rest of us, deal with job loss and getting restarted and rehired. And uh, late, a little bit later in his career, he met the love of his life, Kateri, and, uh, and they decided that they would move to uh, Allen's college town of Athens, Ohio, where he had attended Ohio University. There they bought a, uh, an apartment building, a uh, convenience store, and some rentable space. And uh, Allen began to think about business as ministry after our time together last year. Say, even before he met with us, he started Learn, Earn, Retire. And uh, he, he helps students begin to think about how they're really going to succeed early in their careers and uh, and when they have bumps in the road as we all do how they're going to uh, get started again on the, in their career path and uh, continue on so that they have a successful career they earn enough so they can retire and live a, an independent life later on alan currently serves as vice president for enrollment and student development at hawking college which is an, uh, a junior college in ohio and is an adjunct professor in business at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Alan, welcome to today's call. It's so good to have you. Well, thank you. And I, uh, I should have recorded that I could play it back for my wife. I'd say, don't I sound good? That's well done, thank you. Good. Alan, tell us a little bit about your life in sales and what eventually drew you back to Athens, Ohio. Well, I'll take it back to Bay High when uh, you know, you and I went to school, you got good grades, and I barely got through, which was, you know, uh, typical of the rest of my academic career up until mid-career. I, uh, I went to uh, Ohio University because at the time um, there was a law that said that you couldn't be denied admissions to an Ohio school if you, Ohio uh, public uh, college, if you graduated from an Ohio high school. So, I barely graduated, and then I had to go in, and I promptly got a 1.6 acume after my freshman year. I majored in being festive, and uh, 
that was a, a whole lot of fun, but I, I deserved the one six. I had to pull myself out of there. And um, my father, uh, I was going to quit, and he asked me a favor uh, and put out his hand and asked me to shake it that I would get some sort of degree and at least finish a second year. So that led to an associate degree. And to make a long story short, that I had this quest to become a millionaire, although I didn't know what a millionaire was. Uh, I didn't know how to get there, but it certainly sounded good. So I came up with this plan that um, if you pick a booming market, you know, all fortunes, you know, all the boats would rise with the tide. And so it, this is 1976, the uh, Sun Belt was booming. So I hitchhiked to Houston, Albuquerque, and Phoenix. And they were all booming cities. I was recently in Phoenix and saw, you know, what it's done and realized that would have been a significant meteor to have planted the flag there. But I had selected Houston. And uh, I ended up in the YMCA in Houston with $180 and went for it. And uh, I always had a natural gift, a gab. So I got into sales. I sold cars. I sold ads in real estate magazines. And then I stumbled along in business products and started selling copiers. And that felt right, selling a business product to a business. It was certainly better than selling uh, from, you know, what I wanted to do than to selling to consumers. And so I, uh, I, I did well there, and that led to the early days of the word processing industry, and that was before the PC. So you'd buy these dedicated word processors to the tune of it. And this is in those years dollars. It would probably be triple that now. That was about $15,000 for a workstation. Mostly the law offices do repetitive typing. And I ended up owning word processing dealerships in San Antonio and Austin uh, around that time. Uh, I had just gotten married, and then my wife decided she didn't want to be married, which was heartbreaking at the time, but thrilling now because I, as Glenn said, found the woman of my dreams. But it was painful at the time, and then also my partner was making it very difficult for me to ever get to what was previously agreed on was the parity of 50-50 partnership. So so I, uh, I heard a sermon on forgiveness. At, at church, and uh, and you know, I thought, well, you can talk to everyone else, don't talk to me, because, you know, um, heck, I didn't tell my wife what I really thought about her activities leading up to the divorce, and and I and I didn't crater this guy's business, which was trying to keep me from getting my fair half of the company. And about five minutes of the sermon, I realized that this was pointed right at me, and uh, the essence was you got to forgive the subject of your frustration. You have to give, forgive anybody who might be involved, whether you know about it or not. And uh, you must uh, and you must forgive yourself because you put yourself there. And then, by the way, give it to God because you can't handle it, which was all true. <laughs> and once I did that, my boss, I went in the next day and I forgave him. And he, he went from Machiavellian powerless powerful to powerless before my very eyes and I I learned that all along I had granted him the power to put me in the you know position that I was in and it was kind of liberating and so that led to I called a recruiter and I got on the ground floor of the microcomputer revolution and it 
was a good time to get out of Dodge, if you'd say, and I ended up uh, moving to Boston, and I was running a, a, a business land. It was like a computer land, but it was focused to businesses, and there were no franchises. It was all company-owned. And uh, we went from zero. I mean, the company did. I wasn't one of the founders. I, I, there were 65 locations when I joined, and I ran one of them. And uh, and we went. The company went from zero to a billion dollars in sales uh, in six years. Back then, that was quick. And then mm. uh, and then we went public, and at the height of it, we got to about 1.6 billion in sales. So I had been selling no name products, and now I had the IBM PC, the Compaq, and the Apple Macintosh, and I applied my outbound sales skills to that model, and we destroyed the competition. We put 22 locations out of business in our first year. We shattered every record in the history of the company. That got me more and more territory. I'm in like my early 30s, and I ended up uh, in the, uh, you know, um, uh, running all the way to the Northeast Corridor and doing 17% of worldwide revenue, 22% of worldwide profits. And with that, the CEO said, look, we're working on succession planning, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask you to go to England for 18 months, work your magic there as well, which I did, and then he sent me to any business school I wanted in the nation. And to make a very another long story short, I uh, I became an Alfred P. Sloan Fellow at MIT. Now I, I had some help by one of the advisors to the company, who was Theodore Levitt, the editor of the Harvard Business Review, who was a academic god at the time. And uh, he called over and and they took a chance on me. So with an associate degree. Uh, I never got my bachelor's, and now I have a master's from MIT. I graduated in a year, and they asked me to come to Silicon Valley. The day I got back, the company was sold, and the new company wanted new leaders, and and really, actually, they they wanted uh, they wanted just kind of clear house at the top level. And so I ended up becoming, with all that education and all that, uh, a free agent in Silicon Valley during a very exciting time. So that led to four times of BPS sales. One of those companies I got public, and then, um, and then I uh, um, was working with a large company, and it was EMC at the time. Now it's part of Dell, and uh, you know I had made a bunch of money with the with the uh, when we took the company public, uh, but I squandered it. I bought a motor yacht. I invested in a non-diversified fashion. I made a lot of mistakes. And there wasn't there in today there's not much to show for them other than I had a ball and it was really, really good times. You could Terry, I enjoyed those days. But you know, somebody said, Alan, your problem is you didn't know what you wanted, which was so true. And hmm. and I learned from that. And then I went to work for a large company and I had a boss that was micromanaging me and it was miserable and my wife said now along the way Ohio University had contacted me and asked me to sit on the board of the Shea Sales Center down here in Athens. Now that turned out it was a small program when I started. Now it's the largest student organization at OU. It's the finest academic sales program in the world. A hundred percent hiring rate. Most of those students three years out of college are making well into six figures. And it's been one of the joys of helping to move that program along of my professional career. And so the dean said, why don't you come out and teach? And I said, well, you know, this would be a good time. My boss is micromanaging me. It was, it was challenging. And so I, uh, 
was making arrangements to run the gauntlet and get on the faculty. And with that, a company in Silicon Valley heard that I was moving. And the senior vice president, and the company was a meteor. It was destined to go public. And they had no positions out on the West Coast. And it turned out that they uh, they uh, said, we have no idea why anyone would move from Palo Alto, California, to Athens, Ohio. But if you're going to do that, I want you to run the North Central United States, which led quickly to the Central United States. Six months later, we went public. And then two, uh, about two years later, uh, we were acquired by my old employer, EMC, for $2.4 billion. So the math was my stock that I had at a dollar a share, my options, were selling at $52 a share. So Kateri and I were back relative to the good fortune we had on our first IPO. And this time we knew exactly what to do. We bought income-producing assets in a college town. And so it's basically, you know, stuff that's walking distance to campus, uh, a lot of homes, some buildings, but 60 apartments in Athens and a convenience store. And, you know, Kateri runs that. And uh, that afforded me the freedom to step away from having to pull a paycheck. And, you know, it's it's also a low cost of living here. So we're not rolling in the dough, but, you know, there is more money coming in than the cost of the McMillans being the McMillans. And so uh, <laughs> so that gave me – that gave me uh, freedom and flexibility. So along the way, I founded this company, and Glenn talked about it, Learn, Earn, Retire, about how do you go from campus to career and to your eventual financial independence in this pensionless world. And there's a lot of evidence why that's important. Maybe we'll get into it later in the call. But that led me to doing a pro bono talk at Hocking College and up to 1,300 inbound students. And when I uh, gave that talk, the president pulled me over to the side and said, I got a problem declining enrollment. And in my world, education, uh, enrollment is actually a sales function. You're a sales executive. I need your help. And wow. Wow. Very, very persuasive. And I didn't yeah. want to do it. But then I ended up, I ended up uh, taking it for a year. And now I'm finishing up my second year. Uh, and at the end of the calendar, I'll be gone, and then I intend to write books. But that's essentially how we got here. Kateri runs the family businesses, and uh, and then I, I I think this is my life's work. I hope this is my calling. I, uh, but Alan, but that's, it, it's amazing. What what you're saying is really amazing to me. It it, it sounds like you've you've lived such a fast paced life, and I I have to say I was really struck by your comment. That uh, you know, during all those years when you were making so much money, you squandered it, and somebody said to you, even though you had a ball, uh, they said, "Well, you didn't know what you wanted." What changed with you? Because it it's clear to me that you have a greater sense of what you want now and what you want to see happen. You have a, a deeper sense of purpose. Tell us about how that's changed and how it's changed the way you're doing business. In, uh, in the enterprises you're running, and also uh, in your desire to give back to young people? Well, you know, it's um, – I, I realized when I didn't know what I wanted, that most people don't know what they want. I mean, I've, I've been in front of now with Learner and Retire um, on 26 campuses uh, to over 20,000 students. And I asked them why they go to college and what do they want, and they can't tell me. 
Never. I, I always start uh, my my talks off like that. And you may be saying a young person doesn't doesn't you know isn't aware of that. But you know, if you talk to people who are in their thirties, you know, generally they're not planning enough for the future. They're not. They don't have a, a financial buffer in case they were to lose their job. By the way, I've been fired four times. So I, I had to get very, very good at job search. But that's a liability of being a VP of sales in Silicon Valley. It's not necessarily a negative thing. It, one time I was the vice president of sales for um, software publishing, and we had a product for the older people on the call. It's, it's uh, called Harvard Graphics. Uh, before there was PowerPoint, there was Harvard Graphics, and it was the category leader, invented the category. And then Microsoft came along and bundled some products together called Office, and it wiped us out. So that was one of the job losses. So it's not necessarily what I'm doing. It's some of the times market forces. Cisco could buy a competitive organization, and boom, your company is in a tailspin. And so, so you know, you, you need to buffer for that stuff. But but along the way, um, I was challenged at around 48. I was doing a job search, and I started to think, how am I ever going to retire? And I didn't fully fund my 401ks. I didn't do that. And that led to a quest of figuring out how I could possibly get there and listening and reading and that kind of stuff. We decided we were going to do it through real estate. The question is where because we couldn't afford to do it in Silicon Valley. And uh, and that led to, I mean, we didn't know there was another IPO in the wings, but we were going to, you know, I was going to teach college and Terry was going to run a couple of rentals. Now she runs a much larger group of rentals, but but that was uh, that was really the quest. It was just at some point in life, and I think we all get to it. That there's these moments where you go, "Where to from here?" And there's not as much forethought. And and the lament is uh, from older people is if I had only known then what I know now, I would have done things slightly differently, and, and slightly differently, and you ostensibly have the same life. So how then, my quest was, how can I take that knowledge that we get when we get older and place it on the doorstep of the next generation as we pass the baton as they, they enter the workforce? And whether that workforce is high school to the workforce, junior college to the workforce, colleges and universities to the workforce, the campus to career uh, moment, how do we prepare them? And I actually used this, the, the, the case study of the baby boom and those outcomes propel them to kind of wake up early. And it's it's becoming a really a powerful work. And the, the, the most consistent comment I get with the surveys that we put out after we do it, the students call it life-changing. So it's it's thrilling. I kind of bumped into it by accident, but then here I am. So what you're, what you're saying is you're really helping students step back for a moment and reflect on, Okay, I'm, I want to make money in my life, but why? And uh, and and uh, maybe helping them also get a rudder, you know, in in the water. You you talked about a life changing moment when you heard a pastor preach a sermon on forgiveness. You heard, you know, later on, I think uh, even last fall when Alan Ross was speaking at our conference, you said it really awakened you to the notion that when we're in business. We have to be thinking about uh, the people we're employing and the people we're serving, and so we begin to see business as ministry. Talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, that 
I tell you what, and I'm so glad uh, um, for the uh, um, the opportunity to have attended that conference because when Alan spoke about that, um, it really resonated both you know with myself and my wife. And on the way back, you know, we had like a three and a half hour drive um, to Athens, and I talked to Kateri and I said, you know, I I think he had a chord with me, and she goes, me too. And I said, how are we going to go ahead and use, we never thought of our business as ministry. And it was cool, too, that you had other Christians in the room that were business owners of like mindset. And it was, I mean, it was such a privilege uh, and a blessing to be at that be at that meeting. So, so we got home and we said, okay, so what do we do with this? Now, I will tell you, what I teach young people is the notion of the earn-to-burn ratio. This is one of the methodologies I've cooked up. So basically, your road to financial independence is you take your burn rate, how much money your family burns through in a year, and then your earn rate, which is what do you get from your income-producing assets without you working, so not your salary, and when your earn rate exceeds your burn rate, you're free. And so to not mislead you, our earn rate is larger than our burn rate, but not by a ton. So it's not like we have, I mean, we're, we're comfortable, really comfortable, and we think our best days are in front of us financially as well. But, you know, we have to run the businesses responsibly. But we started to take a look, and we own this convenience store, and convenience store has, you know, low margins, and we have uh, two managers that work there. And we had just given them a raise maybe a couple of months before the conference. Uh, and so we're driving back, and we said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to start thinking about the people who work for us, and we should give them more money. So Kateri and I walked in, and uh, it's unusual for us, those two and both of us to be in the store at the same time. They thought something was wrong. And uh, we thanked them for doing a great job, and we gave them a pretty significant pay raise. Um, and uh, and we were shocked that they didn't say thank you. And when we left, I said, was that odd to you? And she goes, it was really odd. And I said, I thought they were going to say thanks. I don't need a thanks, but I... I don't know if they feel entitled. Do they think, you know, I, I just didn't understand it. And a couple of days later, one of them ran into me and said, you know, I wanted to thank you for that. And I, 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 I don't know if I thanked you. I, we, we were stunned. You had just given us a raise. And then you gave us a bigger raise. And we didn't know what to do. And uh, it was beautiful. I mean, it was some of the most fun I've had since we were founding the company. And uh, and we did that, and then uh, and then we started to think, okay, wh- who are some other people that are hardworking? And we have a a building that has a restaurant in it, and uh, now there's a there's a, a guy that runs it, and it's a small family operation, and it's Chinese food. It's, it's really uh, it's called Fusion Noodle. It's amazing, and uh, great entrepreneur that runs it, and uh, you know, but it's like him and his wife and his 
child is often in one of the booths in the back doing homework. Great family-owned business. And uh, we said, let's go help Tony, uh, the owner. And, and then Tony um, was coming to us negotiate an extension to his lease. And he was, I think he was probably trying to position that, you know, we would keep his rent flat or we had an escalation built into the lease. I think it was 5% a year and he was trying to get it less than that. And Kateri told him no and uh, significantly dropped his rent. <laughs> and he, he didn't know what to do. And she, she said, let me tell you something. We love you. We love your family. We think you're an asset to the community. And we want your family to have more money. So... And you earned it. And we dropped it. And he, he looked at her and said, may I hug you? <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was, it was incredible. And so then I'm at a board meeting at Hocking, and Hocking had gone through um, a real eight years of declining enrollment. And why that's significant, this is one of the poorer areas in Ohio. I mean, around the university it's not, but you go out into the, the rural areas, and it's horribly poor. And and so, you know, a ticket out of uh, generational poverty is often the community college. So we have a pastor who's on our board of trustees, and uh, we're turning around enrollment, and actually uh, we've got four weeks to go until you do your measurement, you know, with the new inbound class, but it it's going to be up. It's going to be up significantly. More important, we've built the apparatus underneath it of inbound marketing and cutting-edge enrollment activities, and uh, that, that it's going to sustain and actually grow larger over over time. But the board member pushed me over the side and started to talk to me about doing God's work in this assignment, and I went, "Wow, I didn't look at Hocking College as ministry." And then I went, wow, I didn't look at Learner and Retire as ministry. And so the whole, our whole dimension changed. And actually, through confessions, um, I am a free agent as of January 1st. So we were in church, and I've I got an amazing church, Central Avenue Church, and a great pastor who's become a, a dear friend of mine, um, uh, Paul Reisler. Terrific! His podcasts are amazing, and and he uh, and I'm and I, when I was in church, I said, God, um, this is your inning. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Um, I hope it's learner and retire. That's what I want to do. But it's, if it's something else, I'll do it. And I try to listen, and I'm not a very good listener. I don't think, and I've, and I've tried, but so far, I feel compelled. My heart tells me to keep going with this. So unless you know, I get a directive uh, to go somewhere else or do something else. I, I think this is probably the, the move we're going to be going in. But it's, I think I can help a lot of people doing that. But, but again, the whole notion of it's not for profit, it's for ministry. And it's uh, mm. it's given us a, a whole new dimension. I can give you stories with tenants. We have very few rural properties, just like around five houses. But, but – um, we have somebody today, they're getting inspected for bed bugs, and they don't have the money. I mean, if you have bed bugs in your house, and this is before she moves into our house, and if if she's got bed bugs, it's about $800 to eradicate if you've got a single family mm. house, a small one. Mm. 
she doesn't have the money for that. And uh, if if they find him, you know, it's likely Kateri and I will eradicate them and move her into a house where she doesn't have to worry about that. And so, but again, this is this is this is about how do you do the work of God uh, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. you know, but you know, and, and if it costs you some profits, who cares? But but we're blessed to be in that position where we could do that because. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan, this is a, you've got such an exciting story. I know you've got lots more stories to tell. We're going to open the phone lines at this point. Yeah, Alan, this ahead. is uh, Scott Myers up in Akron. So I met you when you hey. were, when you were up here. And uh, it's, uh, you know, when you were here and told us what you were doing, I thought you had such uh, great opportunities. You were, you were already doing really cool stuff, and it's uh, uh, very encouraging to hear how, you've continued to develop that. Um, and, and so w- one question, maybe not directly related to what you're doing and maybe you're, you know, so absorbed, but you had, you had mentioned thoughts about, um, you know, direct contacts with the students that you rented student housing to about getting them involved in your learner program. Was that something that worked out or did it just work better catching them where they're enrolled? Well, it's, um, it's, you know, if if what I've learned with young people, they don't do optional. So if you have a really healthy seminar, you'll get some turnout, but you can't get broad range turnout. And when you have a college class that's required for them to be there, you can manufacture transformation. And and so that's why it's thrilling to uh, teach. There's a class called uh, at Ohio University. It's two credit hour. Uh, it's called CAS 2402 Transition from Campus to Career Success to Wealth Creation and Protection, which is basically the gambit. It was an academic wrote the title. It sounded good after they did it. But it was, uh, you know, but, but, but then I can require reading, I can require homework, and I can get the transformational change. My, my concern was speak to 20,000 students, and I know they all left with the intention of doing something positive in their life, but did they do it? Where's the follow-through? So teaching affords you that. We're doing the same thing at Hawking College where we, we're going to have about 1,500 new students, new freshmen starting this year. And their first-year experience class is called Cornerstone. And out of uh, 16 sessions, I hijacked 12 of them about how do you build your brand, build your network, launch the job search, not only now, but if you were further on in your career, how do you have these skills? that if uh, danger strikes, you're ready for them. And so we teach two things. How do you get multiple job offers at the end of every job search, including leaving college? And then how do you chart a path to financial independence in this pensionless world with a plan that you understand? And so with multiple sessions of teaching, that works. But, But one of the things we're thinking of doing, Ohio University may or may not renew the ability for me to teach the class, I've got to go through a thing called University Curriculum Committee. And so far, I run the gauntlet. I got one left. This is the big one for the university. If they pass me, it'll be a permanent course. If they don't, um, it can't be taught again at Ohio University. So, so, and I and I pretty much said I 
friend said, what are you doing with this? And I said, well, it's in God's hands. You know, <laughs> I'm supposed to teach it. I guess it'll get approved. And if I How about bringing it down to Dallas Baptist University in Dallas? <laughs> well, I could do that. And it's uh, and I, I do a lot of guest lecturing. The question, too, is how do you put it on, you know, like, because here's the deal. With YouTube and with learning software, I mean, you can, you know, the you know from the, uh, we have a, uh, I have a recording apparatus out of my house, green screen and ha- I, I could basically send it out to the world for free or for, uh, for a nominal fee. And so I'm working my way through that, but it's, uh, it's really good work. And, and the students call it impactful. And now having this extra dimension of seeing it at the two-year college level has taught me a lot on how I can deliver it. So uh, I'm, it's really it's an exciting time for me. And the answer is I don't know where it's going. I just know at the end of December I won't be full-time at hockey anymore. And uh, and then we'll see uh, we'll see what's in the future. Do you have a way to help high school people do a better job of figuring out what they want to major in college, so we don't waste so much time and money? It's interesting you say that because one of the uh, things that we just went through um, was uh, we we solicited the Ramsey organization. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey. Sure. Is there anybody that never heard that hasn't heard of Dave Ramsey? Yeah, he's uh, got 20 million listeners. He's a, he's actually the the third largest uh, or third most listened to radio broadcaster in the nation right now, behind Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh. And he puts his faith right out there, uh, you know. And it's uh, it's beautiful. Now I just visited his headquarters. 700 employees. And one of the elements that I didn't know about is Ramsey education. It goes in the middle school and high school. So basically, how do you get your financial act together and your financial awareness? Um, and they're doing middle schools and high schools, and they're looking for colleges to sponsor it. And then also that puts you right in the middle of your target market, you know, which you're hoping those students, you know, would consider you in their search for college. And for the ones that weren't going to go to college would then consider it. So um, so that was a good thing. We were going to move on it, and there was a couple of things I won't get into that we decided, and the president here decided we were not going to pursue that. And then I walked her to her car when she had made that decision, uh, uh, president of Hawking, and she said, but I got you, Alan, and I need you in the middle schools and high schools. And one of the interesting things about that is there's a group called Jumpstart, which is probably the most prominent organization in K through 12 financial education. So they help you if you're a fifth grade teacher and you want to teach personal finance, they'll give you the curriculum and, and help you with that. And actually the big banks, you know, fund them so they can show the government they're being re- to trying to get responsible uh, borrowers into the uh, workforce, which I've got some editorial comments that I'll save for this call now that, you know, the debt peddlers are going to go ahead and help lead you to the promised land. I'm going like, okay, I'm a little skeptical. Well, their research says that um, by the time a student is a senior in high school, they have set their spending patterns. Now, that's scary. So that says what Ramsey's on to is a big thing. You've got to get to the middle school and you've got to get to the high school. And so what I, 
I wrote another body of work that was put on hold. It was, it's called What You Need to Know Before You Go to College. So how do you show up with greater focus, sharper intention, intensity in order to gain great advantage? Or from the parent's perspective, how does your kid go to college, get out in four years with as little debt as possible, and leave employed? And that was going to be an app that, again, is on hold, but I spent a couple hundred hours, maybe a hundred hours on it, and then uh, also ran focus groups at OU, very diversified groups, and the students loved it. And so I might take the learner and retire doctrine, couple it with what you need to know before you go to college, and through Hocking College, you know, in retirement, go out. We have 46 local schools that you can you can uh, drive from that high school to Hocking's campus and, you know, go there and put all the seniors in the gym and have a talk. And uh, and that may be the start of yet another dimension of learning retirement. How do you move from exposure of information to competency? Yeah, Alan, just before you answer that question, um, would you just give them uh, your website and any contact information they might have if they if the listeners would like to follow up on today's call with you? Yeah, you can reach me at Alan A L A N at Learn Earn Retire dot com, all one word. Alan at Learn Earn Retire, and you can go to LearnEarnRetire.com, and you'll see a bunch of information. And we're updating the website. It's been pretty stagnant for uh, the last two years because of hockey. It'll be slight changes between now and the end of the calendar, and then it's going to be, you know, the weekly blogs keep coming out and and, and that kind of material as we uh, as I start to move into that full time. Um, question is really a powerful one on exposure to competency. And that is, uh, that's what drove me to take it from, I was asked to do a seminar uh, uh, at OU at the African American Studies Program. And I said, I'm getting frustrated with seminars because I have no idea, you know, how many people put it to work. And mm -hmm. so, I wanted to get into the, um, you know, to 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 a classroom setting so I could force change. And it's ironic that that uh, the African American Studies program sponsored this. Went to the the business school said we already do that. And uh, you know because we have finance classes over here and we have business and advising over here, you know, and, and career counseling over here. So we don't need to do it. Yet most of, many of the kids that take my class, um, they're business students, and they go, the campus has nothing like this, but the dean will tell you that they've already got it. And to the extent, you know, all campuses have it if you seek it out, but how do you package it together? And, uh, and because cause I don't think you can talk about, you know, Ramsey talks about this is where you spend your money. David Bach talks about this is how you spend your money. Susie Long talks about that. But if you lose your job, there's no money. And so you can't you – know, your job is the fuel. And then also, how do you talk about employment without talking about money? Because if you don't have an emergency fund and you get fired, often you have to jump your living paycheck to paycheck. It's more than half of America does. You have to, you have to uh, um, take the first thing that comes your way. And then somebody looks at your resume and goes, well, you were doing really good there. But, boy, that's a bonehead move. Can you explain that to me? 
So mm-hmm. the competency of, of the continuum is really powerful. But then how do you know how many people did it? And uh, I have another entrepreneur that's talking to me about doing a coaching service. He wants to do it by subscription where people would get a quarterly coach would call and uh, and and just, you know, help them along and try to keep them as kind of uh, nudging them in the right direction. And maybe that's a possibility. I know that uh, people like uh, Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad has a coaching division. But, you know, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, that wasn't in my cards, but if other people want to take the material and, and help people like that, uh, that would be that would be fine by me. But the, the other thing you could do, and what I might do, the legacy of this, because I'm 63, so how many more years, really, am I going to have to do this? So I may just walk into Dave Ramsey's organization and give it to them, um, because I know they're a good organization, and they're really good at creating products, and there's a lot of synergy. And we've had some discussions, not at the highest levels, but I would hope in the next uh, year that I'm sitting down face-to-face with David and talking about where there's some synergy. And, and I'm also trying to get a meeting with David Bach to try to figure out where to from here. So, But 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 the competency, um, how do you measure it? How, how do you coach people along? How do you encourage them? Hey, remember how you felt in the seminar? Come on back. Let's Let's hit it again. That's really uh, where I need to get them, and uh, I'm wide open to opportunity and ideas to help. Part of the joy and excitement as I'm going into January about what are the next steps, but part of this, too, is a gateway moment in any work like this is a best-selling book. If you're an author, and I'm shocked no one's talking about this space more, you know, the campus to career to financial independence space. And it's, uh, and I, you know, I've, I've got enough material now that, you know, I, I, I can speak with great authority for it. And I think that, I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, utterly in a disappointing sense, amazing that we had no, 25 people running for president uh, the last election. Now, not one of them looked at young people and said, you cannot mimic the habits and behaviors of the baby boom. Uh, look at their outcome. And I tell you, when I do that to students, I got their attention. And so who's doing it? Uh, no one. And Didn't I you see all those students who were socialists after Sanders who wanted free education? Sure, sure. They're so far, they're so far from where you're at that they can't, even see you. Yeah, but here, here's, here's in fairness to them, and I spent a lot of time, as you can tell from, uh, you know, what we've talked about today. Um, what are they hearing? They're hearing from everybody. The deck stacked against you. The one percent are screwing you. The, the, you need our help. You need this to be free. Things aren't fair. There, and, and, but listen to multiple sources surrounding them saying that. Yep. Now their parents may be struggling to retire. They can't retire. What was us? You know. Um. You know. And 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 the and the and the thing is, so a student can go, well, yeah. But here's the deal. If you're a normal student, 
with a normal life. This is the research I did right after I retired. Okay, so I had an IPO at the end, and it, and it forgave a lot of financial sins along the way. So, so the thing is, can a normal person with a normal life, who doesn't want to kill themselves, that doesn't want to fly around the world, that doesn't want to have heavily leveraged income, they actually want balance in their life, and they want to they teach or, let's say, coach her or his daughter playing soccer. Can that person and that family get the financial independence? And the answer is yes. If they don't squander their 20s, it's pretty easy. So the key is, how do we catch them at this moment where they're going from career economics that are meager to or, or campus economics, which is meager, to career economics, which is by comparison a plenty, and how they manage that uh, that inflection point, that economic inflection point, is critical to their future. So, and, and I can tell you, I have students that that, that thought they're never going to be able to get to a state of net worth uh, uh, or financial freedom. And by the time we get done, and even in a lecture, I can I can walk through this, and they go, "Oh my God, this is possible!" And a light goes off, and joy goes in their heart. And so it's a very uplifting message, and it happens to be mathematically accurate. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks. For, uh, thanks so much for what you've been sharing with us today. I wonder, are there any uh, further questions or comments? We're nearing the end of the call, and I think we have time for one more question. This is Mike Zach. It really strikes a chord with me. I'm working with a young man who's probably in his late 20s and uh, a web developer, and I have him do some contract work for me. But it's really interesting to talk with him, and he's just lost. He's lost because he didn't get the kind of mentoring that you're talking about uh, through high school and uh, skipped college moved over to Santa Cruz, the Bay Area, was doing some quite a bit of web development, and then that company went south. Now he's just kind of bouncing around and struggling to find work and doesn't have a good, um, what I would call, compass to direct him. And I think if he had been mentored with some of the information that you're talking about, uh, he'd be in a, a completely different place. But uh, you know, yeah. discipline and 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 then some of the just the knowledge about how to manage your career and how to manage going to college and you know graduating from high school, all that stuff, that would have made a big difference in his life. And he still mm. could. I think there's you know <laughs> I haven't lost hope. But I was thinking about this uh, the other day. Is that there's a group of kids, and I don't know what generation it is, if it's the millennials or X, but uh, that really needs some coaching. They, they're just lost out there. And he's one. Mike, you're calling in from uh, Fresno, California, and Fresno's in that Inland Valley area of California. They have uh, kind of a similar economic situation that you're facing there in Athens, Ohio, too. Alan, if if uh, Mike were to direct his uh, this young man to uh, to your website, uh, learnearnretire.com, would he find some resources there that could help? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, but I, I tell you what, this is where it's, it's necessary to write a book or produce more online tutorials where, you know, um, 
and, and I just did a brainstorming uh, uh, about about two weeks ago. Uh, spent four days figuring out, okay, what's my next move or my next options, and then try to figure out what we're going to do. But a book kind of knits it all together. You know, the trouble on a website, you've got like all different blocks of information. It's stimulating, it's uplifting, and I think that would be helpful. But the, the key for him is you got to get great at job search because two generations ago you had one to two jobs. The baby boom, they say it's uh, between 10 and 11 jobs we'll have. But the millennials and X and Y and all will have potentially 17 jobs. So jobs have no longer, they're no longer uh, careers. They're two- to four-year stepping stones. So the notion of how do you go ahead and find the next stepping stone and sort through it, and there's information for that on the website. Um, and it's, uh, and, and then, then your, the person you're mentoring, he's in the gig economy. He's doing your website, and that gig's gone, and he's on to another one. So he's got to constantly be building his brand, be building his network. Cool thing for him. Exactly. He, yep. he doesn't even exactly. have to be in the town that, of the website he's working on. So he could have a place in a low-cost living area with a view of the mountains, as long as he's got sufficient bandwidth to his his home and a fire computer, he can do his work from anywhere. And it's, uh, you know, we, we use lots of virtual workers uh, you know, in the, in the marketing department here, and our, our marketing agency wasn't even in our town, and, and we didn't, uh, we never saw him in person. We just zoom meeting and, and, and connection. So, so the thing is, I would also tell him he absolutely can do this. He can, he, he can be incredibly successful, but he's got to craft a plan. So, open his mind, open his heart, feed his head every morning with positive information. Be listening to people like Dave Ramsey. Be listening to people like Robert Kiyosaki. Be, you know, be listening to leaders in the field. Feed your head every morning, and we all should, because the, the, the lifelong learners is where is where the action is, and uh, these are the people that are creating the economy. And uh, but but the thing is, the message from the uh, the on uh, you know from many sources is there is no hope. Uh, you can't get ahead. The deck is stacked against you, which is absolute garbage. Well, Alan, thanks so much for your inspiring messages to us today. And the stories you've told, I think, have been so helpful to so many. And uh, every month, folks, on the third Thursday of the month at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Time, we'll have uh, a guest like, like Alan who comes on and tells us what they're doing to lift up hope uh, through uh, a business model that is really addressing critical issues in our time uh, and, uh, and helping people move ahead. And LearnAndRetire.com is certainly that. And uh, the way you're living out business as ministry, Alan, is inspirational for all of us. Amen. Well, God bless you. And uh, have a good day, folks. It was great to be on, you, on, with the, on this call with you for the last hour.